0: We have spent the last two weeks looking at Paul's letters that he wrote, two letters that he wrote while he was in Corinth. It was first and second Thessalonians. And Paul was in Corinth for 18 months or so on his second missionary trip. And as we've been walking through the life of Paul, uh, getting ready next year hopefully to study the theology of Paul in a more concentrated fashion. uh, We have camped out in Corinth for those two letters. Today, we pick back up where we left off, but I wrote the lesson today while I was on the road. I don't know how many of you travel. How many of you travel a lot? Okay, a good bit of you, so you know what it's like on the road. How many of you have lived in a lot of different places? Oh, wow. There's truth. Nobody's a native Houstonian. Um, I have, too. I was born in Dallas, Texas. Uh, 1960. The skyline did not look like that, but I looked something like that. Uh, we lived in Dallas for a matter of, uh, what, mom, a week or two, three weeks. And then we moved from Dallas out west to Fort Worth. And... Uh, <laughs> We, we lived, uh, in Fort Worth, uh, uh, for, oh, a little bit longer, long enough for me to learn how to sit up next to my older sister, Catherine. We lived there, uh, for a while, and then dad got transferred again, and we moved to New Orleans, or New Orleans, as I call it. New Orleans is where I have my first memory. I lived in New Orleans. I was a small boy, again with my older sister. And my memory was of Dad taking me. Mom and Dad took Catherine and I, or Catherine and me, to a Mardi Gras parade. And I remember being on my Dad's shoulders. I remember it was night, and I remember the the floats going by, and I remember this lady throwing candy. My Dad caught the candy and he handed it up to me. And I have, I mean, I was little. Okay, I'm like two years old, but I'm telling you, I have the memory in my brain thinking, why don't we come here every day? <laughs> they are throwing candy at us. Why don't we do this every day? But Mardi Gras is one of those unique things about New Orleans that I remember. We lived there for a while and then we moved up north to Shreveport, Louisiana. And in Shreveport, I continued to grow. I don't have any independent memories of Shreveport. But we moved from Shreveport to Abilene, Texas. And in Abilene, Texas, I have a lot of memories. My best friend was my next-door neighbor, Roger. I don't know what's happened to Roger. I can remember on Sundays, we'd go to Wyatt's Cafeteria sometimes. We didn't have a lot of money, so we couldn't eat out often. But when we could, we'd go to Wyatt's Cafeteria. And it was really good. But you want to know what was the best? A&W Root Beer. Had a root beer stand that had these frosted mugs. And I can remember them very, very well. I can remember being at church one Sunday when my dad was called out of the audience to give the closing prayer. I was so proud. I couldn't believe that my dad was up there giving a closing prayer. Just seems so special. It was in Abilene that my older sister Catherine started school. Uh, I wasn't old enough to start school yet. I didn't start school until we moved from Abilene. That was me and Abilene. We, uh, We moved from Abilene to Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. We went to Graceland. Memphis, Tennessee. Graceland. I can remember. Driving through on Christmas, during the Christmas season, and seeing the lights Elvis had out. He had a nativity scene. I remember it today. And we'd see as we'd make the circle drive through Elvis's yard. And it was there that I started school and went through. I, I didn't do kindergarten, but I did first grade and half of second grade before we moved. And we moved up to what <laughs> we called. Yankee country you see everyone in my family was born in Texas basically my grandmother was in Tennessee but she came to Texas so early that and my grandfather her husband always told her not to admit she was from Tennessee (laughs) because it was a point of pride for him my mother was pregnant with our little sister Holly in Pittsburgh and she was uh, set to give birth and granddaddy and grandmother came up to help out And granddaddy bought a shoebox of dirt from his backyard to put under the delivery table (laughs) so that Holly would be born over Texas soil. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Pittsburgh had a culture shock for me as a second grade boy. I got in a lot of trouble with my teacher because I had not been reared properly. You see, I said things like, vegetable. Vegetable. And she said, her name was Miss Kennedy. I hope she's listening to this on the internet. <laughs> Look what I became, Miss Kennedy, a speaker. Um, <laughs> she said, she said, I would never be a speaker unless I learned to say vegetable. <laughs> I said, this is true. I said tomato. She said tomato. <laughs> she really did. And uh, got me all upset and tongue-tied. and <laughs> It was the next year I started speech therapy. Um, but we lived in Pittsburgh for just a while, not that long, but uh, long enough for me to go to some good old Pittsburgh Pirate Games. 1968, we moved to Rochester, New York. Things were very different in Rochester. Uh, the hippie movement was in full swing. There were guys with hair longer than my sisters. And... I can remember my grandmother and my grandfather coming up to visit us. And the question was always, well, what would y'all like to do? And with my grandfather, it was always the same thing. Can we go downtown and watch the hippies? (laughs) Because he was from San Angelo, Texas. And it was just something else to see these guys with this long hair. I was never allowed to have my hair quite that long, but I got some. So anyway, um, we were in uh, Rochester, where they didn't make hamburgers properly. Um, as Dad said, you know, Dad, I think half the reason he moved back to Texas was Whataburger. Uh, they they put ketchup on hamburgers in Rochester, and Dad thought that was tantamount to blasphemy. We had a big culture shock. Now, I still said y'all, but other than that, up there, they talk fast, they talk without the accent that we were used to growing up. Uh, uh, church was different there. There wasn't a church that my folks were comfortable taking us to. We had house church. And every Sunday morning we would have worship. And we would sing out of the hymnal. And we would uh, have memory verses. And we would have a lesson. And we would have the elements Pastor David talked about this morning in church at home. Uh, life was very different there. I lived there for about four and a half years and loved it. It was great. A wonderful place to grow up in so many ways. Then we moved from there to Lubbock, Texas. And the culture shock moving from Rochester to Lubbock was huge. In Lubbock, the guys did not have hair as long as my sisters. But they had these rings in their back. Over oh, we losing the choir. We were going to sing. Okay. Um, They had uh, these rings in their back pockets of their jeans. (laughs) From sitting on cans that were round that I had never even heard of. Someone asked me when I first started there, do you dip? And I was thinking, well, yeah. And they said, well, what? I said, mainly potato chips, but sometimes Fritos. <laughs> I had no clue what it was. It was so different. And that's where I grew up and went to high school and and uh, graduated. And lived there until uh, uh, college days. And I want to tell you that when I moved, everything would change. With one exception, we would move from one place to another, and the way they made their food changed, and the way they talked changed, and the way they dressed changed, and the way they looked changed, and the way they worshiped changed. Everything changed, except the constant of my family. And I think that's one reason we grew up as such a close family, because every six months to a year, generally, or two years, we would move and so we had the constancy of each other and I was thinking about that this week as I was writing the lesson because I was thinking Paul was a traveler and Paul was used to changes that's a song for those of you who aren't old enough or are too old to be in the David Bowie generation For Paul, as a traveler, don't you know things changed as he went from place to place? He would leave his friends. Oh, he might take one or two with him on his mission trips, but even that changed. It changed from Barnabas and John Mark to Silas and Timothy and others. His friends would change. Not only his friends, his food had to change. You wouldn't eat the same thing in one area that you would another. They might mess up the hamburgers. Not only would his food change, but the way people act, behave, dress, it all changes when you move from place to place. But Paul had a constancy. There was one thing for Paul that never changed, that he took with him everywhere he went. And that was the reason Paul traveled. Paul traveled to take the God who never changes... To the people who desperately need him. And that's what Paul was about. And that's what we're looking at. So as we finish Paul's journeys, Let's finish with Paul in Corinth. Paul leaves Corinth. And if you're reading along in Acts. You'll see Paul departs from a town called Chintrai. That's really just the western port. It's right here. It's western port of Corinth. And that's where Paul left from. And Luke tells us before Paul left, Paul had made evidently a Nazarite vow, which would have been a personal one, to go for a period of at least 30 days or maybe longer without getting his hair cut. And the reason why it was a personal vow, Luke doesn't give us great detail, but most scholars think and the context suggests that it was Paul saying, God, you promised to be faithful and keep me from being persecuted in Corinth. As testimony to your vow, I vow during the same time not to cut my hair. And God was faithful to the word that he'd given Paul. And as Paul's leaving Corinth, Paul had not been violated and, and persecuted. So Paul leaves, and as he leaves, as a symbol of the success of that, uh, of God's word to him and God's faithfulness, Paul gets a haircut. And it's actually... Doesn't that barber look excited to be cutting on Brother Paul? I have made it a personal goal in this class to figure out how to put that face of Paul into at least one slide every Sunday. Where you least expect it. Paul leaves, and when Paul leaves, he takes his two friends he'd met there, Priscilla and Aquila, with him on the boat. Not necessarily with him, but at least they travel on the same boat. And Paul sails from Corinth over to Ephesus. And Paul is in Ephesus, where he drops off, if you will, or Priscilla and Aquila leave. Now, the timing of Paul, Paul's in a, a bit of a hurry to get back to Jerusalem, it seems. And so Paul stays on the boat, except while the boat's taking on provisions and new supplies and stocks. Paul leaves and goes into Ephesus. And something very rare happens to Paul in Ephesus. Ephesus. Something very rare happened. I want you to ask yourself, when did this ever happen before? Paul is in Ephesus. He leaves the boat long enough to go worship at the synagogue. While he's at the synagogue, Paul, of course, talks of Jesus. You know what happens? The people say to him, hey, would you stick around and tell us more about Jesus? They ask him. They say, tell us more about Jesus. You know what Paul says? Basically, I don't have time. He says, No. Paul says, I'll come back if God's willing, but I've got to get to Jerusalem. I don't have time. And Paul leaves. Now, of course, Priscilla and Aquila are there, they're not left empty. But Paul leaves. And Paul hustles to get back to Jerusalem probably in time for Passover. There's some real good analysis that some scholars have done that that persuades me at least that's what Paul was hustling back for and taking his hair with him, no doubt, to, to lay down as part of his vow. So Paul leaves and goes back to Jerusalem and goes for Passover. After Passover, time with the church, Paul goes from Jerusalem back to Antioch, which was his home base where he'd kind of been operating as a missionary. Paul's in Antioch for some period of time, we don't know, but sure enough, Paul has the Spirit of God on him to take him out. So Paul leaves Antioch and he starts again. Now I want to add something for our young folks in here. Our daughters right now, uh, at least one of them, is working real hard on this go 50 miles in May. Are y'all, any of y'all doing that? Part of the Family Life Center? Yeah. Uh, You, you, 50 miles in the month of May, walking or jogging. And our nine year old is well on her way to hitting that 50 mile mark. Um, yeah, we're real proud of her, but all I can think about was, you know, I, I got these two young men up here on the front row. Y'all don't mind if I pick on you for a minute. Hey, what's the furthest you've ever run? Y'all look like you're athletic type guys. You got a football shirt on. What's the, Do you know farthest you've ever run? You ever run a mile? Yeah? You ever run two miles? Three? You ever run 250 miles? <laughs> okay, we beat them. Not that we've run it, but... Paul's making this trip walking. It's it's not easy and it's not a lot of fun. He's not just walking. It's not like you walk to the motel 6. Oh, they left the light on. You're carrying stuff. You're carrying a tent of food, you're carrying some money. Not much, because it's real easy to get beat up. Paul's lugging all of this stuff around. And Paul generally started his journeys in the spring, which means he's doing this in the spring and the summer. And it's real hot over there. But there was something driving Paul. And Paul didn't stay in Antioch long because he'd promised the people in Ephesus, if God was willing, he'd be back. And so, what Paul did is he packed up his gear and he hit the road and he walked to Ephesus. He walked so he could go through all those Galatian churches again and just encourage the brothers i love to come teach this class because it is about a nine or ten minute drive so i it takes me five minutes to get here (laughs) and if i had to walk here it's four miles i've clocked it i'd still probably come teach halftime if i had to walk 50 miles to teach. That would be a real test of how much I wanted to share. It really would. Paul goes hundreds of miles and he walks it instead of taking a boat so he can go through these churches and tell them he loves them and check on them because he has that kind of heart and that's his mission. Now, while Paul's been gone from Ephesus, things have been happening in Ephesus. And we need to talk about them for a moment. There was this fella named Apollos. Apollos was from Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria is not that far from Jerusalem. Somehow Apollos had learned about Jesus, but not really the death and resurrection of Jesus. He kind of knew about Jesus from the what we might call ministry years. Apollos knew about John the Baptist and John the Baptist's baptism, and that John the Baptist had pointed the way to Jesus, and he knew about the life of Christ, and he knew that Jesus was Messiah, but he did not understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it seems. And so Apollos goes to Ephesus and Apollos starts standing up, teaching in the synagogue. And Priscilla and Aquila are there. And Priscilla and Aquila realize that Apollos is teaching of Jesus, but he's teaching the baptism of John the Baptist. So, Priscilla and Aquila, politely pull Apollos aside and they more fully explain the way of God as Luke calls it the way by the way was by the way the early buzzword for the church earlier in Acts the church is called the way because Jesus is the way you want the way to God it's the body of Christ which is the church so Luke is making a pun there when he says Aquila and Priscilla taught more fully the way of God. They explained to him that Jesus gave his life for the church. And Apollos, just so pumped. Apollos is a team player, very eloquent, a really good speaker, and very learned in the scriptures. So Apollos leaves Ephesus at that point and goes over to Corinth where Priscilla and Aquila had come from and starts ministering in Corinth. Now, with, uh, uh, with Apollos in Corinth, he heads back over that way. Paul shows up in Ephesus. Paul comes walking into Ephesus and as he's heading into the town, he finds some folks that believe in Jesus but they don't have the Holy Spirit, don't know about the Holy Spirit, don't know what's going on. Paul says, well, oh, how are you baptized if you don't have the Holy Spirit? They said, well, John the Baptist told us to, you know, we did it and, and all. And Paul says, okay, time out. You're missing it. And Paul explains to him not just the life of Christ, which they seem to understand, But the death and resurrection of Christ, which gives us hope. It's wonderful to know how Jesus lived. And it's wonderful to study the life of Christ. It's an example. It's a model. It's God on earth. It's God down to lead us. But if God had simply come in the form of Jesus and lived a good life, then we're all out of luck. Out of luck. It's a bad phrase. We're all in trouble. If Jesus had simply come and lived a good life. And no more. And then left. Does not a whit of good for any of us. Because Jesus only does us good by taking our sins. All the mistakes we've made. All the mistakes we will make those that are intentional, those that are accidental. Jesus took all of our sins to himself and died paying the price we should pay. That's what makes a difference. And what's more, having died, Jesus was resurrected and brought into a new life. Paul will teach on baptism and and when he'll write to the Romans, as we'll see later on in in about a month or so, Paul will explain to him that when you were baptized, you're baptized into the death of Christ. And you're resurrected and brought up a new creation. For Paul and for us, it's not that Jesus preached a good sermon on the mount. It's not that Jesus healed the people. It's not that Jesus uh, lived perfect in and of itself. It's that having done those things, Jesus then died for our sins and not his own, for he had none. And was resurrected. So that's Paul's good news. That's the gospel. And so with that, Paul comes and he rebaptizes, lays hands on him. They receive the Holy Spirit and uh, uh, life is different. Now, some folks, some scholars I read say, Luke is all mixed up here. Because... Priscilla and Aquila were in Ephesus. So if there were these people out there who had a partial understanding of Christ, it would have already been picked up by Priscilla and Aquila. I think some of these scholars don't do enough research to understand Ephesus is a huge city. At the time, some scholars think the third largest in the Roman Empire. Somewhere probably... Between 200 and 250,000 people. I grew up in Lubbock. It's the hub of the plains. Lubbock had 175,000 people. Ephesus, at the time Paul goes in, was bigger than Lubbock when I lived there. Bigger than Lubbock now. Even when Texas Tech is in session. There are people in Lubbock who believe things that I don't know about. And it is not at all surprising to someone from a town a little smaller than Ephesus to be reading and understand that there were some people who had a partial understanding of Jesus in that town. Ephesus was not only a huge city, but it was a city that offered Paul a lot of chances to teach Paul taught for three months in that synagogue where he promised to come back. Paul then, the, some of the people got, he, he kind of caught the fish that were there. And the rest weren't biting, to use fishing terminology. And so he decided to change locations. And he went to the Hall of Tyrannus. The Hall of Tyrannus is, is a, likely a, a, an area of a school of a fellow named Tyrannus who was a teacher there. And Paul taught the Western text. If you go back and remember the lesson we talked about different texts, the Western text gives us a lot more details about the book of Acts. Some of it is probably added by people trying to keep the book of Acts going but make sense of it for other people. So you can look at the ads And most times the ads aren't put into Scripture because they're not considered part of Holy Scripture. But the ads do give us some insight. And so the ad here says Paul would teach there from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. From the 5th to the 11th hour. Hours started at 6 a.m. People started work at 6 a.m. But people quit working at 11. And from 11 till 4... That was time to eat, time to be with family, and siesta during the heat of the day. Paul would take his eating, time with family, rest and relaxation, siesta time, and every day for two years use that to teach because the hall wasn't being used during that time. He had like free uh, classroom, and so Paul does this, and he does it for two years. Now, Paul is teaching in Ephesus, which is, is, a, is an incredible place. By the way, if I know we've got uh, some folks I, that right over there that love to travel, have you all been to Ephesus? You got to go. The ruins at Ephesus are the most spectacular ruins uh, 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 certainly I've ever seen. Um. Ephesus was a phenomenal town. Ephesus at the time was on the the coast. Okay? It's in the Meander Valley. The Meander Valley is named after the Meander River. Do you know what that was the name of it back then? Do you know what the Meander River does? It meanders. In fact, our word meander comes from the river and it's not something we've come up with. You can go back and read the Greek geographer Strabo who says the meander river goes back and forth and that's why we use the word meander for someone who just goes back and forth on something. Well, a net result of the meandering and the little river in the meander valley that ephesus is off of the net result of that is the harbor would silt up and so now ephesus is no longer a harbor town it's actually about five to seven miles inland because the lands just kept building but at the time it was a harbor town and it had direct boats that went to corinth it had direct boats that went to palestine it had direct boats that went to Antioch. It even had direct boats that went uh, to Macedonia and to Egypt. It was a major shipping thoroughfare. Not only that, but it had highways. It had a highway that went north up toward Troas. It had a highway that went south. It had two highways that went west. If you go to the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John to take down his dictation of letters to seven churches. The first church is Ephesus. And the rest of the churches in order are the towns along the road coming out of Ephesus in a semicircle. In perfect order. Ephesus is a center. And as a center of information, a center of technology, Paul is there. And people are coming from all over and going all over. And they come hear him. And they're taking his message. Today, the pastor taught, preached out of Colossians chapter 3. Paul Had likely never been to the Colossae church. But he knew people there because they'd been to him in Ephesus. Ephesus gave him a remarkable placement by God to teach this message. Ephesus had a major courier school, it taught people how to be UPS guys. Literally, it had a college that trained people how to be messengers. Do you wonder how within 50 years of the life of Paul we'll find evidence of his letters all over the Mediterranean world? When we reach a point where we're dealing with uh, um, one letter in particular, I'll give you my theory that I agree with, I didn't come up with it, as to how Paul's letters were put together first by the church and who did it. But it's near Ephesus where they have people trained for this who know how to take a letter from place to place and read it. So there's no surprise that while Paul's in Ephesus, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Because, you know, if if Lubbock is the hub of the plains, Ephesus is the hub of the Middle East, how about? Or at least that area, Asia Minor, might be more accurate. Now, Ephesus. It was a magical place. Oh, I meant that literally. Ephesus was real big on magic. In fact, if you were to read Plutarch's Moralia, Plutarch wrote, lived at the time of Paul. The time we're studying. And Plutarch wrote this book, actually it's a set of nine books, and and what it is, is what he calls table talk. And it's just him writing down dialogues of guys he would talk with over dinner. And they talked about all sorts of things. And as you read through it, he's got in particular a conversation that he's having with these two other fellows. and I've put part of it up here, table talk, book seven. And they were questions that were being asked. And in the process of answering those, uh, the, 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 the whole dialogue is about whether or not you should have music while you're eating. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how music can lead you astray. Because, you know, most people have an automatic check on not getting too inebriated because they don't want to spend too much money or they don't want to lose all their money once they are inebriated. But he says with music, there's no such check because it's free. And people may just listen to it all the time and get so influenced and not even realize how it was influencing you. Another good reason, I might add, that they should have been in our worship assembly this morning to learn how to use music to edify. But, see that Greek I've highlighted? E, and that slash mark here, that says ephesia grammata. Guess what ephesia is? Ephesus. Grammata. What's grammata? Nothing. What's grammata with you? Okay, now we got that out of the way. Um, Gramata. Give me a word that sounds like it might come from it. Grammar. Uh-huh. That means Words. Of Ephesus, Ephesian words. You want to know what the Ephesian words were that were being written up? Just as sorcerers advised those possessed by demons to recite and name over to themselves the Ephesian words or letters. These were phrases that were called Ephesian phrases because they were deemed to have powers over the spiritual world. And this is a common usage of it. Ephesus was a magical place. It was a place where magic was a real big deal. And people bought spells and incantations. And they had books that had these Ephesian words that, that gave power over the spiritual realm. And there were seven sons of a Jewish fellow who held himself out as a priest named Skeva, And they were casting out demons... Now, God was working lots of real miracles through Paul. Incredible miracles happening through Paul. And so, what these uh, sons of Sceva do is they decide, hey, there may be something to this. So they go to this fella and they're gonna do an exorcism on this fella. So they say to the fella, to the spirit inside this fella, they're gonna exercise, exorcise. They say, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Now, these weren't Christians. These were scam artists who thought that the words were something like other Ephesian words that were just some magic incantation. And if you said it right and pronounced it properly... The demons must obey. Um, The demons answered. The demon responded, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Jesus I know. Who could not know the Son of God? Every demon knows Jesus. Paul, they recognize. Don't know him intimately but recognize he has authority over them because Jesus gave it to him. But who are you? And they beat those seven guys up. and Those seven guys went fleeing for their lives. So while Ephesus was a magical place, God was no magical formula. He wasn't then and he's not now. When Jesus says, pray in my name and it'll be given, that doesn't mean if you just put a tag in Jesus' name, bam, prayer's answered. It's not magic. Points for home. We'll pick up with Paul in Ephesus next week, and then we're going to do 1 Corinthians in one Sunday. Chapter 1 to 16. Bam! Be praying for that. And we're going to try and do it within time. Points for home. Point number one. When they ask Paul to stay a longer period, he declined. Wow. 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 I had a chance to spend some time with Stephen Trammell this week. And he's writing an article on uh, stewardship of your influence. We were talking about it. And I said, hey, you know... Look at this verse. We were discussing back and forth how relevant it is. In fact, I've got him to promise. He's writing for some monthly publication. I've asked him to promise to give us his article so we can email it among our clients. If you're not on our email list, you need to be. It would be a great article. But influence. You have most everybody in here, 24 hours in each day, 7 days in each week. How are you going to use your time? Well, it's real dicey because you don't ever want to say no to someone in need when God wants you to help them. How did Paul? So I sit there and I say, How did Paul decide he's supposed to be in Jerusalem and not there? You know how how, how do we make decisions on what we're supposed to do? Let me make a suggestion. Ninety percent of the answers you're going to need in your life. Are found right here. Should I lie? Hang on. No. Okay, that's what I need to do here. Oh, hey, I got a chance to cheat someone. Let me see. wonder what God wants me to do. Nope. Ooh, here's something that would be fun to look at. Let's see, what does it say about lust? Yeah, nope. Uh, let's see. I have a chance to do something with my wife. Build her up. Ooh, I'm supposed to do that. 90% of what we need to know is right here. Now, 10% of the time, it's not. And here's my suggestion to you. The more you do the 90%, and the more time you spend reading to make sure you know the 90%, the more time you spend praying and worshiping, that other 10% of the time, you're going to be growing so close to the heart and mind of God, you'll discern what he wants you to do. Point for home two. When Priscilla and Aquila ask Apollos to step aside, They explained to him more accurately the way of God. And he listened. And he learned. And he put it to use. I am stunned by his humility. May we never quit learning more accurately the way of God. May we never start thinking we have the answers. By the same token, when we help other people may we do it with a spirit of gentleness so that they're not so put off by the way we approach them that they don't want to learn. Last point. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I want to re-seize this time to urge us to pray for mission efforts and our missionaries and mission friends that we know. Uh, For example... Landon and Nelda Jones are in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's Portuguese for St. Paul. They're in St. Paul, Brazil. They're friends of, now Dale's not here, but his lovely wife is. Hi, Carrie. Friends of y'all's from when y'all served as missionaries there. Dale and Carrie Hearn. This gentleman teaches at the Baptist Seminary there. And so he's, in a very real sense like Paul, teaching people who can go out and teach. He's strategically located. His wife leads uh, Bible study fellowship groups. And so as we close today, we're going to pray for the Joneses and their influence. And uh, with that, I look forward to seeing you next week, God willing. Father, we do close in prayer because we don't want to leave this place without telling you thank you once more in a corporate sense for your word, that you care for us, that you love us, that you are always out to lead us in the directions you'd have us go, that we are on mission with you, whether we're in a foreign land or at home, that you want to grow us up, Lord, it is my prayer and humility that all of us will learn from you more accurately and more fully what you have for us as your body and for us individually. And we pray for the Joneses and others in the mission field that you'll not only protect them but give them great influence that your word will smash all barriers and go to all ears so that all who have a heart for you might hear and learn of the riches of your glorious grace in jesus christ and lord not as a magic formula but simply in recognition that we do not approach you on our own merit we pray to you through our savior jesus amen